the, you know, I normally do my sermons in outline form, and um, I don't know, somebody asked me one time, would you consider yourself an, an expository teacher or a topical teacher? And I'm like, heck, I don't know. Uh, I do like to go in-depth into the Scripture because, um, you know, that, that's where the truth is. Um, we need to understand the truth and the context of the Scripture. And so the, the Scripture itself says, line upon line, upon line, upon line, precept upon precept upon precept upon precept. And um, today I'm going to just be real... Um, honest with you guys and transparent. And, um, you know, I'm always kind of hesitant to, to do that um, just because it's not, this isn't about me. And some, somebody asked me recently, they said, you know, why don't you share your testimony or, you know, this, they heard an aspect of my testimony. And, and I said, well, you know, there's a place and a time for that. But, you know, I feel like it's important that God has given us his word. He's given us the scripture and he's given us the gospel. And there is power, don't get me wrong, in our testimonies. But I feel like my responsibility for you guys, when you come week in and week out, this time is a time for us as the body to come together and to, to learn from the scripture, to, to fellowship in the word of God. And so... Um, you know, you've heard me mention uh, these things a lot, talk about these things a lot in terms of our culture. Um, um, you know, I, I have a real problem with a lot of things that um, has transpired, or if I can use this word in, in the correct context, the way the church has evolved in our culture uh, it has evolved in such a way that, that oftentimes we don't deal with things the way they need to be dealt with because uh, we live in such a PC, politically correct uh, world. And so at the risk today of being, uh, there is no risk, I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, it is, what I'm going to do today is very politically incorrect in the church world. Um, and you know, my assumption is, or the way I preach and teach to you guys week in and week out, is I preach and teach to you guys as believers. I treat you as believers. I don't treat you as unbelievers. And I'm not so naive as to think that week in and week out, we don't have unbelievers come. But, but my job as a pastor, according to Ephesians chapter 4, my calling as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so, I'm a saint and you're a saint. I'm a pastor, you're not all pastors, but we're all saints. Because we're all, if we're in Christ, if we're born again, we're saints, we're believers, and that means we are all called to the work of ministry. And you can't do the work of ministry if you're not equipped to do it. So if I told you to go out and dig a hole and I didn't give you a shovel, you might try and attempt to dig a hole, but it's going to be a very difficult task. It would be much easier if I gave you a shovel to dig that hole. And depending on how big the hole needs to be, you might need more than a shovel. But if I handed you a plastic spoon, I would not have equipped you very well to go out and dig a ditch, would I? 
And so we're called to the work of ministry, and this is a time of equipping. And, and you guys um, should know, um, for you that know me well, um, man, there's nobody that loves to have fun more than I do. And, um, but I take my vocation and my calling as a pastor very seriously. I take my vocation, which is to equip you for the work of ministry, very seriously. And so uh, today I'm going to do the job of a pastor that, um, that no pastor likes to do. And to be, uh, what I'm going to read to you, and the reason I'm going to read it to you uh, for the most part is because it was just, I don't know, yesterday it just, um, I stayed up here all day and it just kind of flowed and, and I was able to, to write, I like to write. And, um, and so I wrote it down and it will be on the website and if you have internet uh, access you can go to the website this afternoon, I'll make sure Caleb uploads it. And, and you can print a copy, you can read a copy. If you don't have internet access, access there's, there'll be copies in the back, a few copies if you want to pick it up and take it. And the reason I'm doing that is because I'm not going to read all the scripture references that I have put in this article, but the article is full of scripture references because what I have to say to you today, um, and I've only touched the surface of, of, of what we're going to deal with, uh, but I want to begin by reading to you a scripture in... Um, in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and let's begin uh, in verse 7. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Now, I want to say this too. Y'all heard the old saying, if the shoe fits, wear it. Listen, if the shoe doesn't fit today, if it's not your shoe, don't worry about it, okay? In other words, if if, if what I am going to share with you today doesn't apply to you directly today, then that's fine. It applies to all of us because the principle is true. Okay? Um, so, if the shoe fits, wear it. If, if God deals with your heart, then let God deal with your heart. Uh, if, if nothing else, it should affirm and confirm scriptural truth that we should all heed and live by. Amen? Chapter 12, verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If you, if you aren't chastened, the scripture says, then, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Every son is chastened. Every son is disciplined. And so, uh, in the most effective way I can, I want to deal with, with some issues of discipline today. And I want to specifically deal with it in, 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 as it deals with the subject of unity in the body. And I just titled this, A Cry to Unity. And, um, you know, as a pastor, people tell me, uh, I've had people tell me I'm too nice I've had people tell me I'm too aloof. I've had people tell me that I'm too deep, that I'm too shallow, uh, that I'm either too loud or I'm not loud enough, among a lot of other things. Um, the other day, I got to the church, and I had a message on my machine, and it was really um, a quite complimentary message. But as I got to the end of the message, 
it, it turned out to be almost obscene from a man. And I'm like, I can't even catch a break there. If I'm going to get that kind of phone call, at least it could have been from a woman, right? It was from a man. The thing, the point is, as pastors, you know, we, we deal with all kinds, and really anybody that's in the public eye. If you're, in the, if you're dealing with the public, if you manage people, if you deal with people, and you've got people that you deal with on a regular basis, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you can never please all the people all the time. So it's pointless to try to do that. And the Scripture doesn't call us to please all the people all the time. The Scripture doesn't even call, call us to please people. The Scripture calls us to proclaim the gospel and to make him known. And in him we find our pleasure. In him we find our pleasure. In him we find our joy. In him we find everything. So let me just uh, begin, and uh, I, I'm just going to apologize in advance because I'm going to mostly read this, and I hate, I hate the fact that I'm going to do this, but, but it's going to enable me to communicate best to you what, what's in my heart. One thing that I fall into, believe it or not, for those of you who think I am too mean, um, is what many other pastors also struggle with, and that is how to bring discipline to the body. In our PC culture today, in our politically correct culture, we are too worried about and too afraid of offending people. Why? Because we've come to equate more people with more success. But we have done this. Listen to me, church. I, I want to implore you to listen to the words that I'm speaking to you. We've done this at the expense of true discipleship and proper discipline that contributes to the true and long-term health of the church. You know, if we just all ate banana splits and milkshakes every day, we'd, we'd enjoy ourselves for a while. But after a while, we would, uh, we would begin to understand the consequences of giving ourselves over to, to this pleasure continually. It will not contribute to the true and long-term health of the body if all we eat is a diet of, of, of banana splits and chocolate malts. It just isn't going to do it. And so when, if we spend our time as a church, as pastors, as ministers, as saints, trying to please people, we're not contributing to true discipleship and the true long-term health of the church. And so this is why I'm doing what I'm doing today. Oftentimes, in our own insecurity, and I'm, I'm speaking as a pastor, because in spite of the fact that I get up week in and week out and talk to you, and, and the number one fear among all human beings is public speaking, just because I get up and talk to you week in and week out doesn't mean I'm, I don't have insecurities. I have a lot of insecurities, as I believe does every human being struggle with some form and fashion of insecurity. And oftentimes in our own insecurity, we let people hang in limbo. We watch them from afar, oftentimes because we know approaching them may not be well received, especially if they do not act as though you are their pastor. When in reality, you are the closest thing they have to a pastor. Sometimes we're so busy and consumed, we let things fall through the cracks, and that's not an excuse, but it is reality. Sometimes we ignore things in the hope that they'll, they'll correct themselves 
Or we justify non-action in the name of letting God deal with it. In reality, it is the man of God, the pastor, the elder, the overseer that God calls to deal with his flock. Ultimately, it's got to be the Holy Spirit that deals with our hearts. But we have been commanded to speak the truth in love. In the following short article, we'll go from King David to the Apostle Paul and look at the topic of unity in the body of Christ, the one true church. In 1 Chronicles 11, we see the kingdom turned over to David by God and all Israel declaring their unity. In Ephesians 5, we see Paul, the Apostle, paint the beautiful picture of husband and wife, Christ and his bride, the church. In both of these pictures of unity, the cry is this, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. That is, we are no longer divided, but we are one flesh. 1 Chronicles 12.32 speaks of the sons of Issachar. It says, Of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of their times, to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. Do we understand the times in which we live? It's an important question for us, church. Do we understand the times that we're living in? Our nation, in many ways, is more divided today than it has been in recent history. It is said compromise is the art of politics, or our politics is the art of compromise. That's the old, the old saying, but today that no longer seems to hold true, and I believe that we could say that today division has become the art of politics. Hence, we look at our nation, and we see division everywhere. And in too many ways, we are a divided people. And you may wonder why I'm talking about politics. I believe the political landscape is a reflection of the cultural landscape. And the cultural landscape is a reflection of the spiritual landscape. As with all things, we can come back to the doorstep of the church to find the root of those things that are out of order in our culture. As the church goes, so goes the culture. And before we... The church point fingers at Democrats or Republicans or Independent or Tea Party or this or that. We better start looking at ourselves because we have allowed the culture we are railing against to become what it is because we have not stood up for the truth and proclaimed the truth because we have feared man more than we feared God. We want the approval of man more than we want the approval of God, and we are paying the price for it today in every segment of our society, the church included. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus declared that we are the salt of the earth. In the next verse, he declares that we are the light of the world. How can the salt season what it is applied to if it has lost its flavor? The answer is it cannot. How can the light dispel darkness if it is hidden under a basket? The answer is it cannot. How can the church 
called salt and light bring the flavor of unifying love and the brightness of divine light if it has lost its flavor and hidden its light? It cannot. Where is the grace of God in the people of God? We all want God's grace, but we refuse to extend the very same grace we demand for ourselves. We allow offenses and misunderstandings and even disagreements to rule the day instead of God's grace. We all seem to be looking for something, but we don't really know what it is we're seeking. Or do we really know what it is we're seeking? I'm sure we may think we do, but if our searching is not founded on more, listen, than the passing desires of the flesh or the deepest depths of our pain, then we search in vain. Did you hear me, church? If our searching is is not rooted and grounded in more than just the passing desires of our flesh, or even the deepest depths of our pain, then our search is in vain. Because as soon as we scratch this itch, another itch is going to pop up, and we'll, we'll just keep going to scratch the itch from place to place. And I promise you, the enemy of your soul will make sure you spend the rest of your life scratching itches. We're called to seek and to search, but that seeking and that searching must be founded and rooted in our deepest desire to know Him. And in our quest for Him, we cannot help, listen, but find each other. For we are bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh. Now, I really would encourage you to to at least look at this article so you can go to the Scripture references that I have throughout here. Because I'm not telling you anything that's not rooted and grounded in the Scripture. Oh, look, I have such a wonderful group of helpers. They've done it for me. Thank you. I didn't know they were going to do that. Did you hear me? In our quest for Him, we cannot help but find each other. Because we are bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh. We are the body of Christ. If we're spending our time trying to escape each other, then then we are running from Him. The church, among other things, is referred to as a family. There is the reality of the universal, the invisible church, and there is the reality of the local, the very visible church. Christ fellowship is a local expression of the very visible church that corporately makes up the universal church. In Ephesians 5, Paul is writing to the local visible church at Ephesus. In these verses, he is offering practical inspiration concerning proper relationships and unity. But on a deeper level, he is speaking of the church, the body of Christ, in terms that we must grasp. It's not good enough for us just to read Ephesians 5 and try to figure out how we're going to make our marriages much better. We need to understand the heart of the Spirit of God in communicating those things. He is giving us a picture, a reality of the church. This is why marriage is so important, because your marriage is a picture in the natural of our relationship with Christ. But in, 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 in that truth, there is also this reality. In Ephesians 5.30-32, through 32, Paul specifically relates the church to a marriage. If we are married to Christ, then we are, are we not joined to one another? If we are married to Christ, 
are we not joined to one another? If Christ loves and cherishes his body, the church, should we not all the more love and cherish one another, his body, the church? If he will not divide, why do we divide? If he has not allowed the offenses that we have committed against him to keep us divided and separated from him, why do we allow offenses to divide us and separate us from one another? These are important questions that we should not just brush over. The answer to why is really very simple. It is called sin. S-I-N. Why won't you forgive that person? Well, here's the deal, pastor. We can just stop right there. I'll tell you why you won't forgive them, because you're in sin. Because of sin, you won't forgive them. What what do you mean? They did it to me. Well, they did it to Jesus too. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But they deserve, no, yeah, but what do I deserve? See, I didn't get what I deserved. You know what I deserved? You know what you deserved? Not the Lord Jesus Christ, not his life, not his grace, not his mercy. Not one of us deserved that, but yet he has extended that to us. If he will not remain divided and separated from us, then how can we remain divided and separated from one another? The answer to why is simple. It's sin. Another word we could use is is unbelief. The solution is also very simple. It's called repentance. We need to repent. It's a word we don't like to use today in the public setting of the church. We reserve that word for our small groups in one-on-one discipling sessions or counseling sessions. Because when we start talking about repentance, we make people feel uncomfortable. This is the conventional thinking in the church today. Now, we wouldn't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable in church, would we? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe we've watered down the truth so much, and we're so worried about making people feel uncomfortable, we've created a gospel that doesn't make anybody feel uncomfortable, and this is how we can live and carry on the way we do in the face of what the truth declares and not think one thing about it. Whew, man. Y'all say, I love Pastor Jeff. Go ahead, say it. All right. The solution is repentance. Here's the reality. If he will not allow our offenses to keep us separated from him, neither must we allow our own offenses to separate and divide us from one another. As we are in him, let us repent. Church, you know what I'm doing right now before you? I'm repenting. This is not what I had planned to do this week. But I'm going to tell you what, for some reason, for about the last two weeks, I haven't, I just, I wake up in the middle of the night just with such an unsettled feeling. I'm like, Lord, and usually when that happens, I'm like, God, what in the world is going on? I just pray. It's like, you know, I don't know what to pray. I'm not getting any clarity here. But then about a week ago, the Lord, the Lord gave me a word. He just gave me a uh, Philippians 4, 6. 
And every time I'd wake up and I would just feel this unsettling, that scripture, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing. I mean, it just, it was like a broken record playing in my mind. But I understood that in my weakness of not knowing how to pray, I knew the Spirit of God was interceding. And God was comforting me with His Word. He just said, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now, I'm going to tell you what, church, the Spirit of God is moving right now. You might not sense it, you might not know it, because it might not look the way you think it should look or feel the way you think it should feel. But I'm going to tell you what, today is a product, it is a result of the Spirit of God. And I would just encourage you to let the Spirit of God have His way. We, the church, are called a family, and a family has disagreements, but families do not stop being family. A husband and wife will have offenses and reasons to, to divide, but they must not, for they are called and commanded to be one flesh, bone of bone and flesh of flesh. A husband does not have to ask the Lord for a sign as to whether he should leave his wife or not. He should already know what the Lord commands. He can make all kinds of excuses as to why he should, why he wants to, why the relationship is deficient, but God commands unity, oneness in the family. The same goes for wives and for parents and for children, and the same goes for the church, the local body of believers. We are commanded to unity, and we should repent for anything less. In the aftermath of the battle and the death of Saul, after God had turned the kingdom of Israel over to David, all Israel came together, including the sons of Issachar, who understood the times. And they came together to David, declaring, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. It's time for the church, the body of Christ, to utter this same cry to one another and to our King. It is time for the visible church, because that's the one the world is watching. It's time for the visible church to stand up as one and cry, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Until the world sees a church, until our city sees a people willing to remain one in spite of offenses, misunderstandings, disagreements, and miscommunications, until they see a people willing to remain one in spite of the failing and frailty of human flesh. Listen, if I haven't disappointed you yet, just wait, I will. Some of you I've disappointed many more times than you'd care to remember. Husbands, I hate to tell you, you've disappointed your wives. Wives, you've disappointed your husbands. Children, you've disappointed your families, but you don't stop being sons and daughters and husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. In spite of the failing and the frailty of human flesh, in spite of that, we remain one. And until the world sees that unified people, they will not see Jesus. They will only continue to see and hear the justification of their own unbelieving hearts that say they are just like us. There is no difference. Why should I join them? And they will not. As long as the church, from the pulpit to the pew, individually and corporately, continues to seek its own satisfaction, its own convenience, its own self-centered desire, 
the world will continue to see every reason that it remains in unbelief. Until we, the church, come to the place of laying down our offenses, of looking past our misunderstandings, and in spite of our disagreements, stand as one mighty man and cry to our king, indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Until then, the world will not see the king. Unity in the body of Christ is not a suggestion from the Lord. It is His heart commandment for the healthy function of His body and to this end that the world may know that the Father sent the Son. That's what Jesus prayed in John 17, 21. In Ephesians 6, 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, we are not each other's enemies, and so we should not allow division or offense or any other thing that would give place to the true enemy to stand. In fact, in Ephesians 4, Paul instructs the church in how to grow and walk together with one another and commands the church to give no place to the devil. He commands us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Then how do we avoid grieving the Holy Spirit? Here's what Paul says. Don't allow any corrupt word to come from your mouth, but instead what is good and necessary for the building up of the body by imparting grace to the hearer. We are commanded to put away the things that are unkind and to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us. And as you meditate on these things, remember, remember, church, that love is patient, that love endures all things, that love never fails. As the church stands in unity, truly the church will be seen as one family, as one body, as one man. For in unity, our witness is pure and undefiled. Not because we are many without failings. Did you hear me, church? Our witness is not pure and undefiled because we never make mistakes, because we never fail. Our witness is pure and undefiled because we are one in love in spite of our many failings. And I'll leave you with this, Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion, For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I would ask the worship team to come back. We're going to finish early today, but that's okay. And we're going to take communion now.
You know, one of, the, one of the things that we're commanded to protect in the body of Christ is the unity of the body. And the reason we're commanded to protect the unity of the body is because the unity, the body, is a witness to the world. And when we do not protect the unity of the body, we, we destroy our witness to the world. That's why we've got to come to a place where, where all of this is not about me. It's not about us. It's not about whether my itch is getting scratched or not. It is about Christ. And it is about you and me and all of us together because we are the body of Christ. But if we come through these doors and make it about us, I'm telling you, repent of that right now because that is wrong, wrong, wrong. Repent. You come in here for Him. And because of Him, we minister to one another. And we protect the unity of the body. And we love one another even when we don't feel like loving. See, I don't have to like everything my wife does or my kids do, but I'm telling you what, nothing will ever destroy my love for them. And in spite of maybe not liking some things, I'll never stop loving them. And I'll never divide from them. Man, I love to talk about the Scripture. My son, my oldest son, loves to talk about Really, all my kids do, but, but he is... Like, you know, you guys have ever been at our house and we're talking about the scriptures, you know, you might think, oh my gosh. I mean, we get passionate and we don't have to agree on everything. But you know, we never divide. It's iron sharpening iron. There's a difference, church. We're called to unity. We're called a family. As people come here, and listen, I'm going to tell you this. The overwhelming reports I get from people that come and visit Christ Fellowship is, I felt so much love. It just felt like a family when I came. And that's exactly what we want it to be. Because that's what it is. But listen, just like your family at home, this is a family. And sometimes a family needs to sit down and have a discussion. You know, there were times when I had to sit my three children down and say, Look, you guys. Y'all got to love one another. You got to quit fussing and fighting. Whether you like it or not, you still are brother and sister. You're still brother. She's still sister. You know why I did that? Because I love my children. You know why I disciplined my children? Because I love them. You know why I'm telling you this today? Because I love you. More than that, you know why I'm telling you this today? Because God loves you. Because God's not treating you as illegitimate. He is treating you as sons because that's the way He sees you. You are sons and daughters of the Most High, the living God. That means that we are brothers and sisters in Him. And there is no bond in the natural that is greater than the bond we have in the spiritual. That's the truth, church. Flesh and blood is going to pass away. It will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what we have in the Spirit is forever. The spiritual bond we have with Him and with one another, it is eternal. It is eternal. 
I want to invite you to come. Just come and take the communion elements. And here's what we're going to do today. Just come on and, and, uh, and get them. And then sit down and, I, and then we'll, we'll take them together. If you're a member of the body of Christ, come to the table. You don't have to be a member of Christ Fellowship Church, but if you're a member of the body, come to the table today.
You know, in the Great Commission, going back to the way we've come to do things in church and what we deem acceptable and unacceptable. And in the Great Commission, Jesus' commandment was go into all the nations and make disciples. He didn't say go make as many attenders as you can. He said go make disciples. And a disciple is a disciplined follower. That's what the word means. It's a disciplined follower. And if we call ourselves disciples, then we should expect that there is a discipline connected with that. See, discipline has become a dirty word today. When I was a youth pastor, I can remember in particular many, many years ago, uh, one family who was having trouble with their children. And, uh, and they would not put any restrictions on their children because they were afraid if they did, their child would run away. I said, you know what? Uh, you're you're going to lose your kid one way or the other. If you think by letting them just go free and do what they want and then be the parent that you're going to keep them, I said, you're sadly mistaken. That ain't going to happen. Discipline is not a dirty word. It's a very good word. It's, it's safety. It's security. It speaks of sonship, of legitimacy, of love, of acceptance, of growth and maturity. And we are called as the body of Christ to all of those things, to growth and maturity. As we take communion today, I want you just to take some time individually as a family. And I want you to let the Spirit of God just speak to your heart. Husbands, if there's some issues that, that God's speaking to your heart concerning your wives or wives about your husbands or, 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 or maybe not even people in this room you can't do anything about but you can do something about your heart and your attitude toward those people. Jesus died on the cross for us so that we could have peace with God. This is what Paul is declaring in Ephesians. He is our peace. It's not just we have trouble-free lives. I don't have to worry anymore. It's much greater than that. He is our peace. We were the enemies of God, but Jesus Christ has now become our peace. We are no longer enemies. We are sons and daughters. Why? Because He is our peace. So let the Spirit of God speak to your hearts today. Let Him direct you to make right what needs to be made right. And it starts right here in your heart. Amen? I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to let you guys have some time to just take communion on your own. Father, we just thank you today for the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, we want to just take some time today, just a few moments, Lord, for, for reflection. Lord, uh, what I have to say is not nearly as important uh, than what you have to say. And Lord, one word from you, God, one word you speak to our hearts today. Lord, from the Scripture, from the things that we've declared, from Your Word, from what You've revealed to us and made known to us, 
Lord, one word from you can change and transform everything. Lord, it can set right what's not. It can bring in order what's out of order. Father, I thank you for this body of people. Lord, I count myself the most fortunate man on earth to be able to pastor, Lord, the body of Christ here at Christ Fellowship Church. And Lord, I pray there's no misunderstanding or no reading into what's been said here today. God, deliver us from that. Lord, let us take what was said here today for exactly what it was meant to be, a proclamation of the truth and of the command that's been given to us to walk in unity, to preserve and to protect that unity against all odds so that the witness of Christ would be a true witness and a clear witness in this world. We thank you for the body and we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Take communion, church, as in your own leisure. And then in just a few minutes, we'll, uh, we'll have a song together. We'll just worship. We'll go out and worship today.
church what we're called to is not a flash in the pan it's not a brief moment of ecstasy that we're looking for here what God is building is eternal and what God is doing in us is eternal and according to the scripture the way he does it line upon line precept upon precept the way you build a brick building a stone building is one stone at a time scripture says we're lively stones being built into a habitation of the Lord so I want to encourage you to get to get a big picture to get a long range picture what we're doing is not just for us. I don't know when the Lord's coming back. If He comes back tomorrow, great. But if He comes back in the lives of my great-grandchildren, I want to have built something. I want to have established something for them. That is how this faith has been passed down to us. That is how... This scripture has been preserved generation after generation after generation after generation. And my commitment to you as a pastor is to take you as deep as you want to go. As deep as you're willing to go because that's how deep God will take you in the knowledge of Him. If you're willing what He desires. He desires for us to grow in the knowledge of Him. To see Him more clearly. To reflect Him more clearly. To be conformed to Him more completely. As a witness to the world. For His glory. that's what the leadership of this church is committed to. And I am well aware, here I'm being transparent again, I'm well aware that much of what I have been teaching has challenged some of you guys. But that's fine, that's good. Let it challenge you. Just make sure that we're all in the book. I need to be challenged. If what I'm believing, if what I'm teaching is not in the book, then challenge me. If what you're believing, if what you've come to embrace is not in the book, then be challenged. But let's let the Scripture be the final arbitrator of all things. So whether I have an offense against my brother... The scripture tells me how to handle that. And we're either going to obey the scripture or not. If I've got a point of theology or doctrine that's not in the scripture, then are we going to love our theology more than we love the truth? Or are we going to let the scripture be the final arbitrator and final judge of all things? I'm going to tell you right now, as your pastor, 
I am committed to let the Scripture be the final judge and the final arbitrator of all things. I don't care what or who it flies in the face of. I don't care. Because I'm not going to answer to what and who. I'm going to answer to God one day. And one thing I can commit to you and, and know that, that, that it is the absolute commitment until I'm gone, as long as I'm breathing, as long as I'm ministering, that's my commitment. That this is what we will build upon. That's what this body of believers is committed to. That's what this leadership is committed to. And this is what I would encourage you to be committed to. So that you can establish for your children and your children's children and their children what God has previously established and preserved for us. And when the Lord returns, He will find faith on the earth. And He will find the people ready. Why? Because they were committed to the truth. They were committed to the truth. I love you. God bless you. Father, let's all stand. Father, we just thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for your word. Your word is so liberating. Your word is so powerful. Father, I pray today as we have, Lord, discussed, Lord, these truths. Lord, that the truth would make us free. That, God, you would speak to us by your spirit. Move upon us by your spirit. Transform us by your spirit. Set us free, God, by your spirit. Lord, we thank you for the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We thank you, Lord. There is nothing more powerful than the gospel. There is nothing more powerful than this word. We declare this word. We embrace this word and the power of it. We thank you, Lord, for the power to not only set us free, but to change us and transform us and make us, Lord, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. We thank you, Lord, that that's what you're committed to. That's what you promised in your word. That's the church you're coming back for. And we thank you, Lord, that you have made provision for that to be accomplished by the blood of Jesus. Thank you and we praise you and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. God bless you. Come on back next week. Have a great day. Remember, no Dr. Larry tonight. No Dr. Larry tonight. Hey, can you guys spread the word to those you might, you might know that weren't here?